The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily represent those of any organization, including One Generation Away. The freedom of a people to choose its leaders is the root of liberty. Keep alive this experiment in liberty. Liberty, in case you've forgotten, is the soul's right to breathe. Government should be very minimal in protecting liberty. Peace cannot be purchased at the cost of liberty. The sturdy ground of liberty. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Fight for their liberty and for our security. Guarantees individual liberty. This great republic born alone in liberty. 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 Just how much do you want liberty? This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner, cutting through the double talk, taking on the topics, going after what the politicians really mean, and making it all clear. For your freedom and your liberty, Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. One man's dream is another's nightmare, and these days, Trump supporters are living the dream while the left is living their worst nightmare. Donald Trump as 45th president of the United States. Welcome back into Liberty Nation, and today we will examine how the left and their allies in the media still stunned and heartbroken and furious over the shocking defeat of Hillary Clinton and the specter of Republicans soon taking control of the entire federal government remain in the first of the five stages of grief, the longest river in Egypt, denial, as they face a revived America. We'll welcome in one of the very few pollsters who called the election correctly, the brilliant Pat Cadell, Democrat, who foresaw the Trump victory while all around him did not. And we'll discuss both the meltdown of his party and how polling is likely to change going forward. Plus, we'll discuss the inexplicable recount taking place in Wisconsin and perhaps Michigan and Pennsylvania with constitutional lawyer Scott Cosenza of One Generation Away. Well, it's almost four weeks since the election of Donald Trump as our 45th president, and, and, and the left is acting like they're still in Barack Obama's America, stuck in that longest river in Egypt, denial in this new revived America. Now, the five stages of grief, they haven't even moved past denial, though some have moved to the second stage, anger, but not anywhere close to bargaining or depression or acceptance, the three remaining stages. Indeed, many Democrats continue to blame the election of Trump on racism, of course, because... That dismisses the legitimacy of the deplorables and irredeemables who voted for Trump and allows them to continue on their moralistic high horse and avoid blaming the people who should be blamed for their historic defeat themselves. So here's the question for the leftists. If America is racist, how come they elected a black man to the most powerful position in the world and then re-elected him? How come 209 counties, 209 counties who voted for Obama twice, voted for Trump this time around? Now, I guess, 
I guess the people who were racist before 2008, because we're a racist nation, of course, stopped being racist for eight years and then resumed their racism once Donald Trump came along. Now, yeah, that must be it. But what's so striking these days in this America that seemed to change overnight with the election of Donald Trump is all the things the left has been getting away with for years, decades even, that they can get away with no more. The media also in complete denial about shredding their own integrity with Soviet-style coverage of the presidential campaign and used to getting away with it, now called on the carpet explicitly by the president-elect. But they carry on as if they have not been disgraced and shamed by their unparalleled bias in the election. Listen to this. Gail Collins of the New York Times writes with wishful thinking that Donald Trump is one of the least successful presidential candidates in American history. Barack Obama blames Fox News for the Trump victory. Listen to this from Jack Schaefer in Politico. Talk about denial. Here's what he wrote. Reporters can stop blaming themselves, fake news, echo chambers, diminished newsrooms, and the decline of trust in journalism for the election of Trump. Collectively assess the press did yeoman's work in covering the campaign and needn't torture themselves about the outcome. Remember... Trump won the election thanks to razor-thin margins in the swing states. He's a minority president. This denial of reality was captured well in another piece by Richard Benedetto in Real Clear Politics. He wrote, The news media, in the aftermath of their self-perceived failure to prevent a Donald Trump presidential victory, are throwing a temper tantrum. Thwarted in their collective effort to coronate Hillary Clinton, they've resorted to holding their breath, stamping their feet, and screaming shrilly, all in an apparent attempt to assure that the guy who beat them is a miserable flop. But there's so many examples. A college bans the American flag after students there burned it, now met with a thousand demonstrators protesting their anti-Americanism. An iconic American company, Kellogg's, pulling their advertising and insulting a pro-Trump conservative website, now met with a boycott. We'll talk more about the media and Hampshire College and Kellogg's in our Say What segment, but there are so many examples of the changing face of America, where patriotism and unabashed America first sentiment is sweeping the land. Donald Trump does exactly as he promised during the campaign, intervenes with carrier corporations, saves more than a thousand jobs that were headed for Mexico, and President Obama's press secretary is left to suggest that carrier might have been threatened into doing it. But this is just the very tip of the looming iceberg for the left. Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel publicly reaffirms his commitment to keeping Chicago a sanctuary city, openly defying federal law, and will likely soon discover that the days of Obama ignoring sanctuary cities are about to end, and that Mr. Trump will likely see to it that all those federal funds Chicago gets will start to dry up. The illegal immigrants who've run amok, especially the ones who've committed crimes on top of being here illegally, 
will soon discover that there's a new sheriff in town and that they'll they'll have to actually obey the law like everyone else. The flow of Middle Eastern immigrants from countries infected by Islamo-fascist terrorism will soon slow to a trickle. The rule of law so often ignored by Obama's Justice Department will be paramount once again with the appointment of Jeff Sessions as Attorney General. The days of leading from behind, an absurd concept on the face of it, will soon be reversed with the appointment of General James Mattis as Secretary of Defense, and they don't call him Mad Dog for nothing. Teachers unions for so long putting the jobs of their members above the education of their students will be on notice with the appointment of one of the most outspoken leaders of the school choice movement, Betsy DeVos, as Secretary of Education. Many more examples, but the glory days for the left of big government, big taxes, and ever-increasing regulation will soon expire, and it's going to be as ugly for the losers as it is glorious for the victors. The Democratic Party has crumbled, and we'll be talking about this with Pat Cadell in just a couple of minutes. They've lost the Democrats, over 900 state legislative seats. They have only 16 governors compared to 34 for the Republicans. They face a big Republican majority in the House, a continued GOP majority in the Senate, and now they've lost the only thing that's propped them up artificially over the last eight years, the presidency. But if they want to continue on the longest river in Egypt, denial, I say, go ahead make my day. And Pat Cadell will join us to discuss all this after a quick break. But first, a reminder that the podcast of Liberty Nation is available to you from iTunes and other fine podcast providers. Stay right there. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. here today has been a political spectacle. We elect these guys to run the country. They're just not doing their job. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. What a difference a day made. 24 little hours. Well, that day would be November 8th. What a difference that day has made. And while it's said that no man is an island, the man who joins us now was pretty much just that during the election campaign. While a sea of pollsters around him were predicting a victory, even an easy victory, even a landslide for Hillary Clinton, he foresaw what was happening in the land and never back down from the belief that Donald Trump could definitely win this election. He's Pat Cadell, Democrat and pollster extraordinaire who has earned the nickname The Oracle in his work on Breitbart News, and we are delighted to have him. Pat, welcome to Liberty Nation. Thank you. Glad to be here. Up through November 8th, the media spin was that the Democrats were on the rise and the Republicans were in the midst of a civil war and ready to melt down. And now the reverse has come to pass. How did all this go so very wrong for the Democrats? And do you see any signs that they'll be changing their ways? I kept saying 
all election, I, all you had to do was look at the attitudes in the country, both in terms of issues, where the country was, not only the two-thirds who thought the country was on the wrong track, but the almost 70 percent of Americans who believed it was actually in decline, the belief that the American dream was dying, the idea that our children would have a better future than we had, uh, or the same opportunities, and the overwhelming belief by over 80 percent of the American people that the, the system was rigged, rigged against people, that it was who you knew and your influence and wealth that determined whether or not you were able to get ahead, and not just your own hard work. Also on the issues, whether it was the economy or whether it was foreign policy or immigration, all, all kinds of questions, the attitudes were it direct, diametrically opposed to the mantra of the uh, elite of the Democratic Party and what they were telling the country. And I kept saying, you know, these things, attitudes are not held in suspension. They will have an impact. And I do not understand what the argument is, why there should be this belief that the Democrats would have a massive victory in the Senate, even endanger the House or what have you, that there was nothing to back it up. It was all wishful assumption by the news media and the political elite um, in the Democratic Party, and they often a lot of Republicans in Washington, I mean, who mm -hmm. are so disconnected from the country. Um, and from uh, so that's one thing. And since then, of course, the Democratic Party has been in disarray. I mean, you know, the election of Nancy Pelosi, for God's sakes. I mean, well, it's hard to believe that they've reelected Nancy Pelosi again after another bad election. But they've, in fact, done that. Uh, let's uh, as we continue with pollster extraordinaire Pat Cadell, let's talk polls, Pat. Almost all of them were wrong about this election, with a notable exception of most of your polling with Breitbart and the Gravis organization, and a couple of polls from the L.A. Times and Investors Business Daily that used a different methodology, tracking the same group of individuals over time rather than using different random samples for each poll. Is the success of that different methodology, that tracking methodology, likely to change the face of polling going forward? The dichotomy in samples on these one-off polls, some of which were I thought outrageous in terms of their assumptions of part of the demographic makeup and particularly the party preference makeups on the polling, and particularly in the states, uh, were really uh, off base and often in contradiction to one another. And it, it struck me that, you know, it, you can say, oh, well, it was really the two points for Hillary, it wasn't that bad off. No, they were disastrous because they left no doubt that this was the problem was in my opinion, was simple. I've been doing a series. I don't really do a lot of political polling anymore. I do mainly projects that interest me. And uh, I've been pursuing this uh, candidate Smith model, we call, for several years, which has been looking at the attitudes of the American people in depth, in real depth, about their alienation, their discontent, their desire for change in the political process. You know, if you followed the, the discussion, the polling, you'd never know that there was anybody but a Democrat or Republican in the country. And yet the single largest group of people in America now identify themselves as independents. They may not be the biggest group of voters, but they are very high. And they were active. People act like they didn't exist. They wrote they were so interested in getting quick 
polling results on the on the head-to-head race. They never looked into what was a very complicated election, most complicated by the fact that you had two very unpopular nominees. And my argument all along was, and I could see from early October, that the people who were unfavorable to both candidates, and this is what I wrote at the very end of the campaign on Monday in the uh, on Fox.com, was that the people who were negative on both candidates reflected the large majority of people who were discontented with the current status quo, were discontent, were very highly negative on Hillary Clinton's trustworthiness, believed the country was going the wrong direction, were mixed on the candidates. And I said, it looked to me like 1980 that they were beginning to break for mm-hmm. Trump. And they did. And the exit poll, as soon as I saw the exit poll on, on Tuesday at uh, 5.30 at Fox, that was the first number I looked at, and he was ahead by 15, 16 points. And that's when I said, I'm going to look at those overall numbers on, on the um, on the exit polls because they're often wrong initially. And um, I thought this would be much closer, and it was. And, uh, and in the end, he won those voters by, at least according to the exit poll, almost 20 points. Those people voted on what they thought was happening in the country. And most of all, the American people wanted to reassert their sovereignty on this system. And to this day, I must tell you, it is clear to me that the political class and the national media will not stop and look at this. Um, the conference that was just held at Harvard, by the way, is, is emblematic of that. It's filled with mainstream reporters. There wasn't a single right. Fox reporter who was on the panel. They brought Nate Silver in to discuss the polls, the man who said Donald Trump, that uh, the Cubs had as much chance of winning the World Series <laughs> as Donald Trump did of being elected president. Right. And it was wrong. These people were so wrong, and they were so wrong about the structure of the election going on because they never gave consideration to the legitimate and complicated opinions of the American people. When you are in a very weird election like this was, depth is more important than speed. And, uh, and I think we reflected that in some of the questions we asked. And as it was going into the final days of decision, many people who might have changed their minds were already counted mm-hmm. and already voted mm-hmm. weeks before. Mm-hmm. And that's well, why it wasn't as big a margin or, or didn't. Uh, that's why there's some discrepancy over the margins. It made a difference. Notice the state that did not have really early voting like Pennsylvania, where state was a, was a critical state for that, where you had to vote on election day, and that made all the difference. Thanks so much for joining us and casting an awful lot of light on this election. We hope to have you back soon. Great. Pat Cadell, pollster extraordinaire, and we'll be back with Say What? Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. Say what? Say what? Say what? One more time. Say what? Say what? Say what? One more time. Frosted Flakes. They're more than good. They're great. Oh my goodness, we are witnessing the sudden reemergence of 
Tony the Tiger as a symbol of the political correctness and intolerance of that once iconic American company, Kellogg's. As we welcome you into Say What, where we feature the most wacky, astonishing, and damnable things uttered by politicians and the chattering class. Indeed, Kellogg's, producer of Frosted Flakes, Raisin Bran, and other popular cereals, decided to pull all their advertising from the pro-Trump conservative website Breitbart.com, unremarkable by itself, except that the company went public with a statement that Breitbart is not, quote, aligned with our values as a company. And sticking with our theme today, the revived America, these corporations like Kellogg's infested with progressive, intolerant politics, who probably would have gotten away with this just a month ago, is now the subject of a boycott by tens or hundreds of thousands of conservatives that is sure to have a serious effect on their bottom line. Quick message to Kellogg's, hope your radical politics were worth it. But there have been so many other examples of things the left got away with for years but are not anymore. Case in point, tiny, elite, uber-expensive, and almost all-white Hampshire College in Massachusetts. They burned their American flag after Election Day. Then the school president banned the flag. No problem in the Obama years, but now, now, a thousand military vets and patriots showed up to demonstrate and condemn the socialist students and administrators, and the head of the student newspaper was cut to shreds by Tucker Carlson of Fox News, who asked the little rich kid, in what country other than America he would rather face trial and listen Listen to the listen to the snowflake melt. There isn't really a country I'd rather be tried for a felony in, and I, I don't. I really doubt that it's um, it's it's not really about me. I'm well yeah. aware that the United States is militarily involved in over seven different countries right now. Beyond Iraq and Afghanistan, they're involved in Libya. They're involved in. Um, in plenty of countries in Africa, the U.S. Imperial Forces are really the, the main force in the world right now um, using military force to oppress people. And you're basically saying the flag represents evil to the extent that it shouldn't be flown. And my question is, why is it always rich kids who make that point? Why is it always kids from a $62,000 a year college like Hampshire who are making that point? None of the workers who you claim to be representing ever say that. You never see anybody at a trade school burning the American flag. Have you noticed that? I think that I have to recognize the fact that the wealth of my parents that was able to pay for this institution was garnered off of slavery and was taken from exploitation. The land that I live on was taken from Native peoples, and the land that I live on back in Portland, back home, was taken from Native peoples. It's the wealth of the people who've been, who've, who've been oppressed and who've had things stolen from them that allowed me to go to this institution. Which he gladly attends... On the ill-gotten gains and blood money, he says, was stolen by his forebears. Yeah, you know, it's pathetic little people like that with zero self-awareness who will now start paying a price for their Marxist, anti-American actions and statements. But as we said at the top of the show, the entire left is still in the first stage of grief. The longest river in Egypt, denial, which is perhaps 
the only way to explain why they re-elected Nancy Pelosi as House Minority Leader despite her disastrous tenure over the last dozen years. There was a lone voice in the wilderness, the guy who challenged Pelosi but lost by a more than two-to-one margin. Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan seemingly almost alone in asking and stating the obvious. We are at the smallest number of House Democrats since 1929. We've lost 68 seats since 2010. And my question to my colleagues and anyone in the Democratic establishment is, how many seats do we have to lose before we decide we need to make a change? 80 seats, 90 seats. We are in a permanent minority right now. We are not a national party. We are a coastal party. We saw Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, and almost Minnesota collapse for the Democrats. We're doing something terribly wrong. And all I'm saying is, while I love Nancy Pelosi, if this was a sports team and a, and a coach keeps losing, you have to get another coach at, at some point. <laughs> you think? But that point has apparently not yet been reached. But perhaps the left is drawing aid and comfort from the mainstream media, which is also in the longest river in Egypt, denial, about what the role of the press is supposed to be. Now, just listen to this remarkable statement by far left, i.e. mainstream journalist, Christian Amanpour, longtime CNN international reporter, doubling down on advocacy journalism. We cannot continue the old paradigm. We cannot, for instance, keep saying, like it was over global warming, where 99.9% .9 of the science, the empirical facts, the evidence, is given equal play with the tiny minority of deniers. So I believe in being truthful, not neutral. Did, did you hear that? She actually admitted she doesn't believe in neutral news coverage. Guess that means we'll have to rely on Christian Amanpour to be the guardian of the truth. And by the way, by the way, as she repeats the left's mantra equating climate change rejectionists with Holocaust deniers, it should be stated again that the 99% of scientists she refers to believe only that the Earth has warmed in the last hundred years, which is a fact, not that drastic economy-crushing action must be taken to address it. But never mind that. How about more obvious proof of media bias, as if we needed it, Newsweek, that once great American news magazine, accidentally shipped out thousands of copies of a commemorative election edition entitled Madam President. Whoops, but Tucker Carlson, this guy is so good, could hardly believe the words inside and read them aloud. As the tone of the election grew darker and more bizarre by the day, President-elect Hillary Clinton went high when her opponent and his supporters went even lower. No stranger to trudging through the mire of misogyny in her career as First Lady, Senator, and Secretary of State. President Clinton managed to push for issue, an issues-based campaign, even as a handful of Trump's deplorable supporters, seeing the wide margin she held among female voters, called for repealing the 19th Amendment. It goes on and on. Fear and hate-based conservatism. I mean, it's not even, it's breathless, it's not even hagiographic. It's pornographic. It's Soviet in his, in his devotion to Hillary Clinton.
Of course, a similar story about Madam President would have been found in the New York Times or Washington Post or almost anywhere in the mainstream media. But of course, in a shattering and inexplicable development, Mrs. Clinton lost a point that was included in the actual president-elect's first public appearance since vanquishing his opponent Thursday night in Ohio when he also ridiculed, you guessed it, the media and the political class. We did have a lot of fun fighting Hillary, didn't we? The people back there, the extremely dishonest press, said, right? How many times did we hear this? There is no path to 270. We had people running our country that truly didn't know what the hell they were doing. Okay? Didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> and he made them all look like utter fools. But there was a serious side to his speech with a soaring vision and bold promises. The era of economic surrender is over. We're going to fight for every last American job. It's time to remove the rust from the rust belt and usher in a new industrial revolution. We're going to do it. And as we now enjoy the holiday season that's upon us, there's one more campaign promise Trump intends to keep that will make the left really, really mad. The word Christmas. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. You go to stores now, you don't see the word Christmas. It says happy holidays. You know, other people can have their holidays. No, but, but Christmas is Christmas. I want to see Merry Christmas. Remember the expression Merry Christmas? You don't see it anymore. You're going to see it if I get elected. I can tell you right now. And we will be back to discuss the inexplicable recount in the Midwest with Scott Cosenza of One Generation Away. Stay right there. Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. This is Liberty Nation with Tim Donner. And now we welcome in our old friend Scott Cosenza, constitutional lawyer from One Generation Away for the segment which we entitle Chewing the Fat, which is self-explanatory. So, Scott, a candidate who got less than 1% of the vote, Jill Stein of the Green Party, has demanded and raised money to fund a recount of the three states that constitute the so-called blue wall that was shattered by Donald Trump, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, where the recount has actually begun in earnest. So, Scott, here's the question few seem to be asking, why would a candidate with no chance of winning demand a recount? I mean, this is not like 2000 when Al Gore rightfully wanted a recount because he was trailing in Florida by less than a thousand votes. And what are the laws on this? Can any candidate demand a recount anytime they feel like it, as long as they pony up the money? Jill Stein in these states was a duly appointed uh, or a uh, chosen candidate by the party they took the sufficient measures to get on that ballot and as long as she's willing to pay the money and you ask me what the laws are and those are the laws generally that if you put 
forth the cash and you were on the ballot, then you can legally demand a recount. Now, I don't think that that uh, means that we can't mock Ms. Stein for her behavior because I think clearly she is – well, making she, a mockery of our elect of our election yeah, system exactly. and and it's i mean she should really be shunned from polite society because this is this is a travesty but the point yeah, for somebody who wanted that, to be president of the united states to do this it is a travesty and and, she, and this of course tim well we we don't have to go further than which three states did she choose to ask right, for a recount of she didn't ask for a recount of california right, right? Well, it, it can't it, it can't be anything she really wanted because she doesn't benefit from a recount. She raises seven, eight million dollars for a recount that might get her from 0.07 to 0.08 well, no, if that's, she's lucky. It's not even, yes, it's I mean, ridiculous. So the, so the point is that it's got to be, who else? The Clinton campaign that's behind it. That nothing else, no other theory makes any sense, does it? Unless you've got one. A personal enrichment to Ms. Stein, perhaps, with these millions and millions mm -hmm. of dollars that are pouring in. She's, uh, she's somebody who, despite her sort of communist level credentials we found out when she filed her her disclosure form for the presidency that she's worth uh, north of eight million and uh, has all kinds of uh, petrochemical and other stocks in her portfolio and lives so, on a sprawling estate yeah, I, out so, west so i don't yeah. know what which motivations yeah. that she might have but clearly what we know for sure they're not that to make sure the few dozen people perhaps in either of these states who may have voted for Ms. stein whose votes weren't counted are actually counted. We know for sure that's not the reason that uh, all this is going on. Exactly. I love how they they asked her campaign manager what they were going to do with the uh, with the funds if they didn't pursue the recounts. And he said, "Well, we this will be used for recounts now and in the future, which mm -hmm. means they're going to bank it." And all these suckers that gave them money through their GoFundMe campaign for a recount. Are, are going to see their money sitting in the account of Jill Stein. Well, I don't know that they're suckers. If they just want to throw a monkey wrench into the transition of power to Donald Trump, then it's not uh, money poorly spent on their behalf because that's where we're headed. It, it's not going to stop them from taking the oath of office. But anyway, we, we I, I don't want to give any more time to this because we've already given it more than it should, I suppose. But let's talk about a statement by Donald Trump, both of whom... Uh, we are not displeased to see as president. However, this week, uh, based on an incident of the burning of the American flag, which got a lot of attention up at that tiny little uber elite, elitist, uh, almost all white Hampshire college up in Massachusetts. Uh, and then there was a demonstration by, shall we say, VFW types uh, protesting the socialist students and administration there. Uh, the president-elect made a statement that nobody should be allowed to burn the American flag. If they do, there must be consequences, perhaps loss of citizenship or a year in jail. Now, the response to this has been, wait a minute, this is settled law from 1989. Even Justice Scalia, the late Justice Supreme Court, Agreed that, 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 that President-elect Trump, I believe, has stated is his model that's on absolutely right. uh, who he would like to elevate to the Supreme so Court. So what are we to make of this whole revived discussion of the burning of the flag? Well, I suppose that any tweet by President-elect Trump should be taken perhaps with some grain of salt because it's a tweet and not some more formal uh, announcement. But I think that it it doesn't bode well for free speech in the Trump presidency. And I think that all people who respect our First Amendment, like Justice Scalia certainly did, uh, announced to President-elect Trump that that's not okay, that we absolutely have to respect 
all speech, and there's always a good reason to ban somebody's speech, right? Except for the overarching reason that we can't, because then we'll all have to be yeah. subject well, to I these guess bans. It, I guess it all comes down to the, the real, you know, if you really believe in free speech, then you're going to defend the speech that is most deplorable it's or It's exactly the reason, Tim, yeah. why the First Amendment was inserted into our Bill of Rights and why the founders required it to be a part of before they would pass uh, the Constitution. In fact, so Scalia said, by the way, and commenting on the Texas v. Johnson case, which he voted in the majority to protect the right to burn the flag as mm -hmm. free speech, he said, we have a First Amendment which says the right of free speech shall not be abridged, and it is addressed in particular to speech critical of the government. I mean, that was the main kind of speech that tyrants would seek to suppress. So this... Right. this absolutely sort of fantastic and and um profound uh expression of revolt or or dis disgust with american policies is what motivates i think people to burn the flag and while some people maybe some che Guevara wearing college campus t-shirt guy may do it lightly i think other protesters don't do it lightly and the body politic actually benefits from their speech in that regard well, this is uh, something we'll hear more about, but uh, I, I think that most people, most, shall we say, constitutionalists will agree that if if it's wrong on campus for free speech to be banned on what would be considered conservative or free market issues, then the turnaround should be fair play where we have to we have to honor the right to burn the flag because it is the ultimate expression of free speech. I could see conservatives, Tim, marching up to uh, the White House if Hillary Clinton was president and responding to some awful policy of hers with burning the flag. So even though typically I think when you talked about those sort of VFW types, they are the people who are more typically in favor of prohibitions on flag burning. It doesn't track exactly that way. And that's, you know, we all need free speech for all of us. And it's not like, well, I can get mine so you can get, no, we all have to have all of ours at all times. Yeah, you can't allow that camel's nose under the tent or the foot in the door, whatever you want to call it. We got time for one more issue, which is the FBI getting expanded power to hack any computer in the world? Tim, this is a sort of a profoundly disturbing story, and it has to do with uh, an expanded search power known as Rule 41, which intends to make it easier for the FBI to carry out more complex criminal investigations in the digital era. Previously, if the FBI thought that you were operating a website that maybe put malware on certain computers, they would have to go to a court that had jurisdiction over you. So, for instance, a federal court in this district, perhaps, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what this does, it allows them to conduct an investigation and say to any federal court or magistrate who can issue a warrant, well, we think this computer issued this malware or these or inappropriate files, uh, child pornography, perhaps, or financial impropriety files, whatever, and it sent it out to these other thousand computers. And now we can go to that judge and have them give them permission to look at all those thousand computers. And that can then be expanded exponentially out to 10,000 computers and so on. And the problem becomes... Isn't that forum, a... Isn't we, that have forum we can go forum shopping. And so what happens is, is they're going to go to the judge all in America, who's the, right. the one who just 
absolutely right. rubber stamps it. Okay. And, and it's a problem for Liberty. I think we're going to see this rule challenged in court and I hope we do. And I hope it gets knocked down because anything that removes speed bumps to the issuance of warrants, I think is um, a detriment to Liberty. More to come on this one for sure. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Tim. And thank you for joining us. That's it for this week, but we'll be back at you next week. Same time, same station. Till then, this is Tim Donner saying stand up for liberty. And we'll see you next time on Liberty Nation.